European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 41, Issue 20. Focus Issue, Valvular Heart Disease, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. From Tavi to Tricuspid Clip, Fine-Tuning the Management of Valvular Heart Disease. The management of valvular heart disease has undergone impressive developments during the last two decades. While the management of these conditions was primarily a surgical domain, Today, more patients are treated with catheter-based techniques for the aortic, mitral, pulmonary and now tricuspid valves with ever-increasing success. While initially reserved for inoperable high-risk patients, in particular transcatheter valve implantation, or TAVI, is now considered for low-risk patients. However, the long-term performance of TAVI valves is still under debate. Furthermore, most valves and devices have only been tested with a product of a single manufacturer, and a comparison of self-expanding and balloon-expandable TAVI valves has only been done in a meta-analysis, but not in a randomised fashion. These issues are now addressed in this focus issue on valvular heart disease, starting with an article Long-term clinical outcomes and performance of transcatheter aortic valve replacement with a self-expandable bioprosthesis by Luca Testa and colleagues from the Instituto Clinico Sant'Ambrogio in Milan, Italy. The authors note that in the last decade, TAVI has led to a paradigm shift in the treatment of patients with severe symptomatic aortic stenosis. Data on long-term TAVI valves performance are still limited. The authors evaluated the clinical and hemodynamic outcomes of the core value self-expandable valve up to eight years follow-up. 990 inoperable or high-risk patients were treated with the core valve transcatheter aortic valve a significant functional improvement was observed in the majority and maintained over time, with 79% of survivors classed as NYHA class less than or equal to 2 at 8 years. A total of 728 died within 8 years follow-up, leading to a 78.3% mortality. The transprosthetic gradient remained unchanged. The rate of grade 0 or 1 paravalvular leak, or PVL, was consistent during follow-up, with no significant change from post-procedure to follow-up greater than or equal to 5 years in paired analysis. At 8 years, moderate and severe structural valve deterioration was 3% and 1.6% respectively, while late bioprosthetic valve failure was 2.5%. Thus, while the long-term performance and durability of TAVI valves is still questioned, the present study provides reassuring 8-year evidence on the core valve first-generation self-expandable bioprosthesis. These clinically important results are further discussed in an editorial by Lars Sondergaard from the Riggs Hospitalet in Copenhagen, Denmark. TAVI has now emerged as an established treatment option in patients with symptomatic aortic stenosis. However, the choice of the optimal valve is still a matter of debate. To address this question, Olga Thieler and colleagues from the University of Leipzig Heart Center in Germany report in their article, Comparison of Newer Generation Self-Expandable versus Balloon-Expandable Valves in Transcatheter Aortic Valve Implantation, the results of their randomized SOLVE-TAVI trial, a multi-center, open-label, 2x2 factorial randomized trial of 447 patients with aortic stenosis. The primary endpoint of all-cause mortality, stroke, moderate or severe prosthetic valve regurgitation and permanent pacemaker implantation occurred in 28.4% of patients receiving a core valve and in 26.1% of those with a balloon expandable Edwards valve. Thus in patients with aortic stenosis undergoing transfemoral TAVI, 
newer generation self-expandable and balloon expandable valves are equivalent. These findings support their safe application in the majority of patients, with some specific preferences based on individual valve anatomy. These important results are put into context in a thoughtful editorial by the pioneer of TAVI, John Webb and colleagues from the St Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, Canada. Myocardial fibrosis might represent a key player in heart failure of patients with aortic stenosis. In their article, Impact of Myocardial Fibrosis on Left Ventricular Remodeling, Recovery and Outcome after Transcatheter Aortic Valve Implantation in Different Hemodynamic Subtypes of Severe Aortic Stenosis, Miriam Pools and colleagues from the University Medical Center Göttingen in Germany assessed its impact on left ventricular, or LV, remodeling, recovery, and mortality after TAVI. Myocardial fibrosis differed significantly between aortic stenosis subtypes, with highest levels of 30% in low LV ejection fraction, or LVEF, low-pressure gradient aortic stenosis, and lowest levels of 14% in those with normal LVEF, high-gradient aortic stenosis. In the entire cohort, high myocardial fibrosis was associated with poorer LV function, greater extent of LV remodeling, and more pronounced heart failure at baseline. After TAVI, high myocardial fibrosis was associated with a delay in normalization of LV geometry and function, but not per se with absence of reverse remodeling and clinical improvement. Multivariate analysis identified high myocardial fibrosis as an independent predictor of CV mortality with a hazard ratio of 27. Thus, histological myocardial in aortic stenosis fibrosis is associated with LV remodeling and CV mortality after TAVI. The clinical importance of these novel data is assessed in a well-written editorial by William Kong from the National University Heart Center in Singapore. Tricuspid valve regurgitation is the new frontier. Long the Cinderella of valve disease, it has attracted increased interest as it may affect outcomes and is now amenable to catheter-based repair. These new possibilities in the management of such patients is most important as their outcome is grim, as outlined in the article. Functional tricuspid regurgitation of degenerative mitral valve disease, a crucial determinant of survival, by Morris Enriquez Serrano and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA. They assess the functional tricuspid regurgitation determinants, consequences and independent impact on outcome in degenerative mitral regurgitation in 5,083 patients with normal LVEF. Functional tricuspid regurgitation was graded as trivial in 45%, mild in 37%, moderate in 15% and severe in 3% while systolic pulmonary pressure greater than or equal to 50 millimeters of mercury was the most powerful predictor. Other determinants were functional tricuspid regurgitation severity, older age, female sex, lower LVEF, degenerative mitral regurgitation, and particularly atrial fibrillation. Moderate or severe functional tricuspid regurgitation was independently linked to more severe clinical presentation, more edema, lower stroke volume, and impaired renal function. Survival through follow-up was strongly associated with functional tricuspid regurgitation severity. Within five years of diagnosis, valve surgery was performed in 73% and 15% of severe and moderate degenerative mitral regurgitation, respectively, and in only 26% and 6%
of severe and moderate functional tricuspid regurgitation. Valvular surgery improved outcome without alleviating completely higher mortality associated with functional tricuspid regurgitation. Thus, functional tricuspid regurgitation is frequently and causally not linked to pulmonary hypertension, but also atrial fibrillation. Severe tricuspid regurgitation is associated at diagnosis with more severe clinical presentation and eventually worse mortality, but remains profoundly undertreated. Thus, careful assessment, consideration for tricuspid surgery and testing of new transcatheter therapy is warranted, as outlined by Georg Nickernig from the Universität Bonn in Germany in his balanced editorial. Eventually, the new frontier is further discussed in a thoughtful and balanced review entitled Uncertainties and Challenges in Surgical and Transcatheter Tricuspid Valve Therapy, a state-of-the-art expert review. Osama Ibrahim Soliman and colleagues from the Thorax Center Erasmus Medical Center Rotterdam in the Netherlands. They remind us that tricuspid regurgitation was historically often disregarded and undertreated, as thoroughly documented by the Mayo Clinic. Surgery with anelloplasty leaflet repair or valve replacement is currently the only class 1 guideline recommended therapy for tricuspid regurgitation. Many dedicated transcatheter tricuspid repairs or replacement devices which mimic well-established surgical techniques, are currently under development. Nevertheless, many aspects of tricuspid regurgitation are poorly understood, but Morris Enrico Serrano and colleagues fortunately provide important insight into the disease progression in this issue. Nevertheless, surgical and interventional risk stratification and predictors of successful therapy need to be developed. The optimal treatment timing and the choice of proper surgical and interventional techniques for significant tricuspid regurgitation remain to be elucidated and should be thoroughly discussed in an experienced heart team. The issue is complemented by various discussion forum contributions. In a contribution entitled High Low Density Lipoprotein Levels and High Risk of Aortic Stenosis, Anders Kreiv from the Riggs Hospitalet in Copenhagen, Denmark, comment on the recent contribution Plasma Lipids and Risk of Aortic Valve Stenosis, a Mendelian Randomization Study, by Kazim Rahimi and colleagues from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. Rahimi et al. respond to Khaiv et al. in a separate contribution. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.